I did not serve 20 years in the Marine Corps to watch my country be destroyed and our children indoctrinated to hate their country. And I did not serve and love my country to listen and hear that in the Ames Community School District, second graders are told they can be a boy, a girl, both, neither, or something else. That is child abuse. And we have a lot. And I just want to tell you, in case you haven't noticed, we got a lot of legislation moving in the House and I'm sure in the Senate to deal with these issues. And it's going to happen this session. So thank you for being here. Our liberties we promise. Our rights we will maintain. We know that's what we say. But is that what we do? Oh, Iowa, what the hell happened to you? I'm Julie Gamak. And I'm Rika Basu. And here with us is the great Tina Haas Finley. Welcome, Tina. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was fascinating to watch you record that intro. And I, as you know, I cried a couple of times. It was so Tell us a little bit about that song, Tina. Well, that intro was inspired by the fact that back in the day, I was the voice of the Iowa State Tourism jingle, Iowa, You Make Me Smile. And so I got to thinking about things uh, related to the assignment that I've been given by you two. And <laughs> what came to my mind was the motto for our state, which is our liberties we prize, our rights we will maintain. But whose idea of liberty to open the show, we heard from Iowa State Representative Stephen Holt of Denison. Now, we're going to hear from State Senator Sandy Salmon. Both were speaking at the Moms for Liberty Town Hall in Des Moines last month. And they share significantly different views of what constitutes liberty than many Iowans do. I'm State Senator Sandy Salmon. I thank you uh, for inviting me to speak at this gathering. I, I feel honored to be asked to speak. Um, so... <laughs> Um, this is just a bunch of liberty-loving parents. <laughs> and this year, I'm working on legislation to get rid of sexually explicit materials in education. Porn and child and school don't even belong in the same sentence. So... It's time to take out the trash at school. I'm also working on holding schools accountable for teaching critical race theory ideas. Yeah. Yeah. 
This is nothing more than racism, division, and Marxism being indoctrinated into our kids. James Hamilton, thank you so much for so many things, especially being our sound engineer. You were in the room when those legislators talked about the voucher bill and about homosexuality and the abomination and all of these sorts of things, child abuse by uh, teachers who dare to even talk about gender differences. You're a gay man. You were in that room. Tell us what that felt like. It really did not feel like any Iowa political event that I had been to before. Um, It did not feel like... Uh, it felt out of place. Um, did you feel unsafe? Yes, I did. Um, I remember I was, I got there about a half hour early at the time when I showed up, I was like, Oh, I hope they don't see that I'm recording this. And then, you know, uh, have a problem with me recording it. But that was the, those were the least of my problems. Um, what I did not expect were the uh, people who got up and were disrupting. And yeah, I agree with them. And yes, uh, Kim Reynolds's policies are hurting trans youth and LGBT youth. And yeah, I disagree with it. But the thing that scared me the most was seeing the people that were sitting around me who were there to attend the rally and support the rally and seeing their reactions because it was, it was startling and it was scary. Um, there was a man sitting in front of me and I think his wife and a friend of his wife's and he was looking around and I could overhear him saying something like, you got to have strong situational awareness at these events um, because, you know, something could happen. And there's a man sitting probably five chairs down from me that when a person disrupted the event, he nearly like knocked me over to run back four rows and just get in this person's face who had got up and yelled, this is hurting our children. This is hurting trans youth. This is fascist, fascism, and the guy runs up and just starts flipping them off and getting and jamming his middle finger in their face and in front of their cell phone. And it felt like a violent brawl could have broken out at any moment. And I thought for an executive of the state like the governor to be at an event where something this unsafe is kind of going on was bizarre. But then it also reminded me of when I was in high school and I came out of the closet in 2000. So this was a while ago, but there were a couple of instances where I had been around people who knew that I was gay and this was 2000 and this was a new thing. And I felt very unsafe and the more that this kind of went on, um, the more that I remembered what it was like to, you know, be picked on and beaten up and bullied um, when I was younger. What happened to you? Well, a couple of things happened. Um, it, 
Okay, well, at the football game once, I got spit on, and, you know, they called me the F word, and another time I got kicked and, like, hit my face and landed on the floor, and there was another instance when I was 18 years old, and I was working at a video store, and one of my coworkers had came in, and he had been doing drugs earlier that night, and his name was Chad, he had this long dark stringy hair and he was just kind of a, a person that made me feel uncomfortable in general but that night he was taking out this uh, butterfly knife and as I was sorting tapes that needed to go back to the shelves at like one in the morning right after we had locked the doors and closed for the evening he grabbed me by surprise and grabbed me by the neck and then threw me down on this counter and he said I am going to rape you, you little faggot. And he spit in my face. And wow. I remember that it was so scary because it was unexpected and it was sudden. And it was like time was slowing down. And I was watching the final moments of my life play out. Because as he spat in my face, he took that knife and he slammed it into the counter. And it was so scary. I had broken down and I was like instantly sobbing. And the store manager, Josh, who didn't really care for me either, um, comes out and he says, what is going on? And he grabs this, um, he grabs Chad and pulls him off of me. And I ran out the back of the door and it was a very scary very very scary incident and uh remember he p took me into the into the office of the store and then he pulls the tape out of the uh, surveillance system he pulls the videotape out of the cassette stomps on it and throws it away and he said this never happened so james and um, those of us who are those who are listening this is a horrific story, and I'm sure you have more. But this is, Reka, don't you think this is a perfect example of what those who preach hate don't understand what their rhetoric is doing? It's exactly right. And I think one of the real ironies here, these are the people who also preach God, who just keep, you know, throwing around the name of God as if God wouldn't condone inclusivity when it comes to the LGBTQ population, when in fact they come across as white supremacists, KKK, they come across as hateful, vile people who are looking for some kind of an uprising. Mm -hmm. And the kind of and, and I can't imagine, James, that you would imagine them saying this kind of stuff in front of the general public in the state legislature, or do you yeah. think that they would? Do you think it's just because they thought they were in friendly company that they were so explicit and so hateful? Yes, that's the thing. It takes on a new dynamic when it is a group that is behaving like a mob and it is a mob mentality um and the scary thing about that is it really does make you feel helpless yeah yes yeah have you felt increasing i don't know antagonism hostility toward hostility towards you and in general the gay community in the last year or so or in particular in the last few months in Iowa well i think that it's an interesting question because 
sometimes when you know gay and lesbian people you can pass as um a cis man a straight man and you're not necessarily facing that exposure all the time like um you know if i were a black person at an event with a bunch of people that were being racist like i think i would definitely feel a lot more exposed so um have i felt that way in iowa yes i used to a lot it's gotten better than it was in the past um it might be because i i guess i I don't know if it's flying under the radar. I don't know if Iowa has changed. I'd like to think that we have and we've adapted a bit to be more tolerant. But unfortunately, the longer that we all seem to be adapting, the more that the opposition of this seems to be evolving Mm -hmm. to the extent of where now there's semantic terminology like indoctrination you know i was thinking about the woman in storm lake and that will be featured in a in a future episode but she got up and said something about her concern that all of these books in grade schools would somehow turn young people into someone who's gay and of course the overwhelming uh group in the audience jeered and said no no that's not true but a woman who was standing next to her and again we'll have audio later got up and explained to her that it is not a choice Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it was so moving because they were two women who were sitting in an audience together side by side and the mother of the lesbian child spoke so authentically and from the heart that when she sat down the woman who had obviously been misinformed mm-hmm. about this. Who had said, yes, it is a choice. Exactly. As a rejoinder. But she sat down and patted, pa- they patted each other on the back. That's what I'm hoping that we mm. can do more of in this podcast mm. is tell stories like Jane's stories. To, mm. there are, there's just a lot of misinformation out there. Absolutely. I also think that, I think that you sort of hinted about this, James, that as there is progress, there is regression as well. And so after same-sex marriage passed in Iowa in 2009 and became the law, we all felt this giddy sense of, you know, we are really reaching, we're reaching where we want to be. This is a great place. It's so accepting, and we're accepting of same-sex marriage. And we couldn't even, you know, 10 years earlier get city um, city codes to include LGBTQ people against discrimination in some form or, or other. But we also have to remember that after same-sex marriage became the law, those judges who had voted for it because it was a unanimous decision were some of them, whoever right. was up for re-election was voted out. Right. And that was normally a retention vote that nobody paid any attention to. So, yes, I mean, the right uses these kinds of wedge issues to really create a fervor. And this is, I think, what we're seeing right now with Iowa's governor and, and Republican legislators. They're just milking this one for everything they can. And now, recently, it's been because transgender people are getting more visibility and more rights and, and again, again backlash you know i think i think there is uh, a motivation to hate and there's a motivation for hope in politics and one side is stronger than the other usually hate is is more effective than hope but i'm clinging to hope 
And that hope is that if we bring stories of real people about what's going on in Iowa, that we will make a difference and help open eyes to what some of these concerns are from the people that are affected by these policies that are driven by hate. That's right. And I think it's important for us, and I'm sorry for you, James, but to be in these kind of forums so that people, so that Iowans, normal, everyday Iowans see what kind of vitriolic rhetoric is being spewed when people think they're not being watched? Lawmakers think they're not being watched. And that is so hateful. I don't think anyone could go back and vote for those people after having seen the way they behaved. And in future episodes, we're going to talk to a variety of people, some who are going to take a look at Iowa's history and talk about maybe when all of this started. And then we'll have other people who are talking about current day issues and how it's impacting people right this minute. And that's all I have to say right now. Let's go to the next topic. Comments by our public officials have tremendous power. Rhetoric has consequences. Thank you, James, for sharing your story and your experience of being present in that room. And now, here's a clip from the governor of the state of Iowa. It truly is a pleasure uh, for me to welcome you and Moms for Liberty uh, to the free state of Iowa. Whoa! Yay! Hey, we've seen the radical left treat our kids like their personal property. Not on your watch. Not on my watch. Not on our watch! I can tell, right? They came after our kids, but they sure didn't plan for the moms. They think that patriotism is racist and pornographic library books are education. But one Linmar school board member didn't even try to hide the contempt, so allow me to quote her directly. The purpose of public education is not to teach kids what parents want. It's to teach them what society needs them to know. The client client is not the parent, but the community. It's almost like a self-parody, but let me tell you, no one is laughing. The message to parents is clear. Sit down, shut up, get in line. In one of my proudest moments as a governor, I signed the Students First Act into law, breaking up the union's hold on education. I hope everyone in Iowa listens to what we just heard from these state lawmakers and the governor as they characterize those of us who oppose their economic and social agendas as unpatriotic, divisive, and the radical left. It's a blatant twisting of language when they're the ones trying to purge books and so-called divisive topics from our public schools while calling themselves defenders of liberty and calling Iowa a freedom-loving state. If it has been that, it's because of many of the hard-fought, enlightened laws and court rulings that have come out of this state for equality and justice. But Governor Reynolds and her legislative allies are trying to get rid of some of those. They want to privatize and defund public schools and ban books to prevent LGBT kids from learning to feel comfortable in their own skins. 
They want children to learn selective versions of history that whitewash their white slave-owning forefathers' legacies and prevent everyone from learning the lasting impact of slavery on America. It would be laughable if it weren't so scary. But at times, that Moms for Liberty town hall had echoes of a neo-Nazi rally, like the violent and racist Charlottesville, Virginia one in 2017, after which Donald Trump defended the, quote, very good people on both sides. These elected officials who are supposed to represent all of us show animosity and ridicule towards teachers and unions and all those who care about the civil rights of everyone. The governor accuses schools of treating school children like their personal property because she evidently wants a subjective educational system in which you can teach our history selectively to only feature the good parts. Listen to how she described a Linmar school board member who told her the purpose of a public of a public education is not to teach kids what parents want, it's to teach them what society needs them to know. Well, wasn't that its purpose? Does she favor curricula so individualistic that we don't share a common framework of history or evolution or social welfare? That we don't learn from our past mistakes? Do we just keep rewriting the Constitution until there are no controls left on gun ownership or respect for the separation of church and state, until we totally strip the rights of women to control their own reproduction? Now, Republican lawmakers are also looking not just to consolidate state government agencies, but to centralize control over county attorneys under the newly elected Iowa Attorney General, Brenna Byrd. And the governor wants to eliminate all state income taxes. These changes just keep coming so fast, it's hard to keep up with them. They seem intent on fundamentally changing Iowa into a place we won't soon recognize. We've been listening to clips of politicians talking about what's happening today, but we're also going to take a look at how we got here. Here's Art Cullen, whose family owns the Storm Lake Times Pilot. Art Cullen, what the hell happened to Iowa? Well, I think uh, it started, uh, I think what happened to Iowa was the farm crisis of the 1980s. And uh, I think that's really when Iowa began to divide into rural and urban uh, splits and where uh, abortion became a prominent issue, uh, rural Iowa drained out. I was living in Algona during the farm crisis. And, you know, the motto was, will the last one in town please turn off the lights? Hmm. And uh, and then I left and went to Ames, which was booming at the time. Um, and then the last 40 years, however, there's been all this consolidation, economic consolidation, community consolidation, uh, and, you know, political consolidation that's occurred in the state with a flood of money that's consolidated politics through national channels uh, that that has fundamentally changed uh, relationships in rural Iowa and, and, and uh, has ma- made our political debate 
in our civic conversation a lot harsher than it used to be. And maybe that conversation that we used to have uh, covered up a lot of these. Uh, the Iowa nice may have been uh, something that that we use to uh, avoid realities uh, in Iowa. But I, I, what it really did is it started an era of rapid consolidation in the state that I think has, has really altered the character of the place. If you look at a, a Clinton or a Burlington or an Ottumwa, uh and look at what they were like in 1980 and look at what they're like today, uh, Ottumwa was half the size that it used to be. Uh, Dubuque used to be a manufacturing and meatpacking center. The only thing to save that was a casino. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and the politics of the place has changed. You know, Dubuque is now voting Republican, and so is Clinton. And those used to be Democratic strongholds. What about the great schools and the great reputation that Iowa has long had for really turning out very well-educated school children. What's happened to that? Underfunding? Yeah, and, and people lost confidence in the institutions uh, like schools, and that, you know, they think that, uh, you know, Iowa State University is some sort of socialist hotbed. And, uh, you know, but I think people have lost a lot of respect for education as an institution. And, uh, it had, in just as they've lost a lot of faith in a lot of institutions, as these institutions, they believe, ignore them. And so parents are fighting over, uh, wanting to take control of what their child is their child's curriculum um, because they feel they've been ignored by the educational establishment uh, the last 50 years. Thanks, Art, and we look forward to hearing much more from you in upcoming episodes. Now, here's Todd Dorman of the Cedar Rapids Gazette, a popular columnist who has many insights of his own to share. Todd, what the hell happened to Iowa? Well, I, I think we can trace it back to the maybe to the popularity of breakfast pizza, and I think there must be some sort of additive in the <laughs> breakfast pizza that that made Not what Iowans I thought you were going to say that made Iowans go crazy. That's as good a theory as any, as far as I'm concerned. So I've kind of witnessed the whole, you know, dramatic pendulum swing. Uh, you know, Tom Vilsack won the governor's office in '98. That was the first Democratic governor in 30 years. The Democratic Party was sort of ascendant through that next decade. They they pulled even in the Senate in 05. They they you know uh, Chet Culver won in, in 2006. They took over the legislature, had the trifecta. Uh, Culver's governorship was not you know was sort of it was kind of a death by a thousand cuts. There were just lots of things that happened. And, you know, and that brought on one of the key moments, I think, is that Terry Branstead came back, ran for governor, because the Republican Party at that time, the state party especially, was sort of in bad shape. A lot of Ron Paul supporters had taken it over. They alienated the the normal donor base. 
when Branstead came back, he energized that base. They had plenty of resources. He was a known quality. You know, he was popular with Iowans still. And I think that was a key moment. And, and then, you know, and then we get to 2016 and Donald Trump and which was sort of the, it had been happening for a while, but we sort of saw the decline in labor unions, which was one connection that uh, working people had to democratic politics, uh, especially in towns like Fort Dodge, Clinton, Dubuque, Fort Madison, places like that. Union membership dwindled, manufacturing went away. And so this was a trend of, you know, not non-college degree holding Voters were starting to drift away to the Republican Party because they, their their views on some social and cultural issues seemed to mesh better with Republicans. Democrats sort of had it in their mind that, you know, demographics was destiny and that the way the country was growing and the demographic groups that were growing, that they didn't need sort of the older white voters that were voting Republican. They could grow their own base and not worry about those voters. Well, in Iowa, of course, you still had to because we have a a large number of non-college educated white voters who can swing elections. So uh, I think by the time Trump came and really appealed to those voters, he basically accelerated that trend. And, you know, here we are today with with the reddest state house we've had in an awfully long time. Basu, here we are. Here we are, Julie Gamak. What a treat to be with you on this journey. Isn't this crazy? Well, it is. And we have so many important things to talk about. And I want to thank you for coming up with the amazing title for this podcast. I must say, what the hell happened to Iowa is what's on everyone's minds these days. I can't tell you how many times when we're traveling around the country, somebody will ask that question. And exactly. sometimes they don't use the H word, they use the F Worse. word. Right, exactly. Um, and you it, hear it in Des Moines and around Iowa all the time, I'm told. Absolutely. And it is a question. I think I think we're going to find some answers, but we might not. Um, well, it's going to be a journey. We plan to cover the state top to bottom, talking to people, right, about how they are affected in their personal and their work lives, in their family lives, and what needs to happen. So if there's anybody listening right now who does not know you and does not know me, let's give a little intro you Tell, go first. Oh, oh, me go first. Oh, oh, come on! Okay. You're so coy. All right, I'm Julie Gamick. I am a former Des Moines Register columnist. I'm a, I have a lot of formers to my name. I'm a former WHO talk radio host. I am a former business coach. That's about it. I think there's lots more, but I think that'll be good for now. I'm Reka Basu, and I just, in the last two months, retired from a 30-year career as an opinion columnist with the Des Moines Register. Before that, I was an editorial writer at newspapers in New York and also a writer. I've been a journalist for about 40 years, I think, and living in Iowa since 1991. What's interesting, I, I was born and raised in Iowa, and left for 20 years, having come back recently, you know, within the last two years. 
you lived all around the globe mm-hmm. and then moved to Iowa. We bonded immediately. We did for the short six weeks that you were at the <laughs> register after I got there. And I tried to persuade you not to leave, well, but you we won't go down that route. Unpersuadable. Uh, but we have kept in touch throughout your various movements. Yes, thank we goodness. Have. And now I'm just so delighted that you're back in the state. You've called home. Well, it's going to be fun. And doing a podcast with you is going to be interesting. Oh, yes, it is. You and I are both pretty. What's the word? Strong-willed? Strong-willed? Yes, like to have our way. Yes, we do. And so far, so good. But this is going to be interesting. And it'll be fascinating to see how we address different topics. I think and it will be. And I think it's going to give, I think that tension is going to give some creativity to this podcast. I think so. Because I think the audiences will probably also share some of those tensions. And so it's good to, it's good to be able to have these conversations in ways that other people should also feel that they can have conversations about what's going on right now and how it affects them personally. So why don't you start talking, Julie, if you like, about what you see happening to the state that's bothering you? Well, of course, the the fact that we do not have any uh, Democratic representatives in the halls of Congress is, is one thing. Um, there's so much that is going on right now that I never imagined would be discussed, let alone implemented. Public schools are going to be really suffering with this voucher program. Absolutely. And I don't know if they'll be able to survive. Some of them won't, of course, across the state. And I don't understand why this got rammed through, because the it's not a popular issue out in the state. No, it's not. There's so many rural schools that that begged their representatives not to vote for this bill. This was not a response to a public demand at all. I think it was done. I think it was orchestrated purely for political reasons, quite frankly, on the part of the governor, who had made it a priority of hers several sessions ago and tried to ram it through, could not get the support within her own Republican Party among legislators, state legislators, and then went out and actively campaigned against them in the last round of elections so that people would win who supported her. Within the first two and a half weeks, she had it passed and signed into law, which is a travesty how fast it happened. And what's interesting is it just isn't the governor of the state of Iowa. There is a national movement. And I think in our uh, future episodes of this podcast, we're going to do a deep dive on uh, the the dark money that's coming in. Yes, across. we are. And this is just one of many issues that are taking place all around the country. Unfortunately, I was one of them. Absolutely. So we are, I believe, in our next podcast, when we hit the road, we're going to be talking to people more specifically about the voucher situation and how it's going to affect different communities and um, get some feedback from teachers, from parents, from students, um, from people involved with the dark money situation who can put it in context. Um, But let's talk first a little bit about some of the other issues that are coming down the pike here. The other pieces of legislation that have been proposed, some of them pulled back. Um, I'm just going to – I have a little list here. Oh, good. She has a list. I have a list, and it's – quite frankly, is horrifying. So there's a bill that would ban any talk, on the one hand, of gender identity in schools in Iowa, right? That's one thing. You can't talk about gender identity in a classroom. On the other hand, there's another bill that says if a student outs themselves to a teacher and talks about having either some gender confusion or gender identification with another gender, 
then that teacher and that school district is compelled to report that to the parents. Now, this is a really treacherous bill. And quite frankly, if it passes into law, I think it could have some devastating consequences. And it already is having devastating consequences. And the, the maddening thing is we are playing right into their hands by talking about it because it's a shell game. It is a total shell game. They don't want us talking about clean air, clean water. We, they don't want us talking about education other than transgender kids not being allowed in, in, in private schools. That's what they want us to be talking about. Yes, but there's another mission here, too, and I think it, it ties into what you were saying about national, national political situations. So a couple of the other bills I want to mention. One of them would um, – let me see – Colleges would not be able to talk about critical race theory. Um, Public colleges would have to clear it with the state about what they're going to teach about social justice. Right. Um, Every hospital, now this one was pulled back, but every hospital, it was proposed, would have to test newborns' umbilical cords for the presence of drugs. And on the basis of that, if they found any drugs, then somebody would be prosecuted for a Class D felony charge of child endangerment. And you know who that somebody would well, be. of course. Right? How's the mother. for pro-choice legislation? Well, right? Okay. Then um, there is a plan to eliminate meat from SNAP benefits. Yeah, I know. Right? I know. Meat. Meat. I, I mean, this is the state of meat. This is the state of pork. Every time we talk during the COVID, the worst of COVID, about closing pork plants – what did the governor say? People can't survive without their pork. They need their pork. But apparently poor people can do just fine without any meat. And again, we're talking about that as well we should instead of the tax breaks that some of the most wealthy in this state are going to receive. They'd much rather we be talking about people who are need of food assistance, poor people. They are the enemy, not the people who are going to be getting incredible benefits from a lopsided tax system. But the other thing is going back to this business of um, gender issues, right? This is something that is becoming very popular with Republicans in the Trump mold who are talking about running for further office, like Ron DeSantos of Florida, right? He's doing the voucher thing too. And Kim Reynolds was on TV last weekend boasting about having done it universally in Iowa, beating him to the punch, in other words. But he also they also have the same kinds of bills about the teaching of critical race theory against it in schools, bills against talking about gender in school, gender identity in schools, and other kinds of things that have to do with social issues that have to do with gender. And one of the things I hope we really get to in this podcast is to find out what the hell happened in Iowa. And I think in a future episode of this podcast, we're going to talk about things like the Fairness Doctrine. How did that change radio? How did that change so that every single AM radio station in the state of Iowa pretty much carries right-wing talk? There was a time when there was a Fairness Doctrine, and that's out the window. And then we've got to talk about in depth about the telecom uh, bill. And we, we do have Nicholas Johnson who was a former FCC commissioner, mm-hmm. scheduled to be on a future podcast where we can really delve into that. Mm-hmm. Because right now they're playing into this narrative that has been established over time that too many people have bought into because they aren't getting another point of view. So, Reka, you worked so hard for the last several decades 
And you could just retire and travel and have fun and go see your grandchild. Why do you want to do this podcast? Quite frankly, Julie, I was really looking forward to doing just that, you know, and then this stuff happened. And every day there seems to be another assault on our sense of humanity and right and wrong, a term that she, the governor, uses so glibly. And I can't sit quiet about it anymore. I mean, writing a column, quite frankly, was part of my therapy (laughs) or my whole therapy, you know, because I when I would see an injustice, I could pound something out and get it out of my system and feel like maybe I was giving voice to things people needed to hear about. But without a regular column to write, it is it is quite frustrating. Yeah. And I feel like if there's a way that we can help illuminate the roots of some of these problems that we're seeing cropping up, the roots, if we can understand why people voted the way they did in the last election, we can help to change things for the better. And I do think one of those things is going to be understanding where Democrats dropped the ball in the last election. Because right. I don't think, you know, I, I don't think that the Democrats have done their share either. And I think it's been very disappointing what's happened. Well, we'll certainly be talking about that. Yes, we will. We have so much to talk about, we Julie. We do. And tell me what the reaction you've been hearing from people when you tell them what you're doing now. Oh, it's been overwhelmingly positive. People are so thrilled that we're going to be doing this. I think there's a tremendous amount of frustration out there. People just don't understand what's going on to their beloved state, a state that gave us same-sex marriage, was the third state in the country right. to do that. A state that gave Barack Obama his first nod as a state right. in the elections, and right? And elected him twice. Elected him twice, exactly. A state that has the Iowa Writers Workshop, for God's sake. A state that was the birthplace of Nicole Hannah-Jones. Right. So you've had some, you've you've read some good mail coming out of um, people who read about our upcoming podcast yes. and have topics they'd like us to address. Yes, as, and as a matter of fact, we, we started a podcast, podcast, we started a Substack column and the URL is julianreka.substack.com. We've been getting some great comments. So do you want to read some of the ones that we've heard so far? And by the way, while Reka's shuffling through some papers to look through some of the comments, we really encourage you to let us know how you would answer the question, what the hell happened to Iowa? Okay. Julie, why don't you read one? And here's one from Jane Downs of Altoona. She uh, did say it was okay to use her name. She said, I really believe that most of the farmers in Iowa have their radio turned to WHO radio all day long as they have at least 12 hours of conservative radio inundating their minds. And that's the lens which they see the world. We've gotten that comment from several of our readers that radio in Iowa mm-hmm. is all right-wing all the time. And we're going to take a look at that. What is, what kind of impact does that have and has it had? And what's what's the impact of the decline of commentary in your former newspaper? This is from Steve. I'm 72 and watched the Dems go out of their way to be Republicans for over 40 years. They wanted everything quick and easy. That takes money, something there is never enough of because Democrats largely don't have any. All those small D Democrats became independents or felt kicked to the curb by a party that constantly asked for money and had no real time for the people they were supposed to be representing. 
That was what Occupy was all about. And what did the party do? Sit on their hands and let it fail without answering the very problems it outlined. You rock, Steve. I'm with you on this. Mm-hmm. That ended long-term protests. So long-term abandonment eventually turns into doubtful voter turnouts and trust issues with people who talk the talk but don't walk the walk. You are so right. Absolutely. And we had a very thoughtful uh, email from Trish Nelson of Iowa City, and her topic was about the Fairness Doctrine, about talk radio, and we would like to have her on at some point when we do a deep dive on that issue. So, Trish, thanks so much for your input, and everyone who's written us, I'm so appreciative. We've really heard from people from around the state. Yes, Another we have. surprise. And uh, with that, I think we can wrap up this first podcast, don't you think? Absolutely. But before we do that, I want to invite anyone out in outstate areas um, where we might visit to reach out to us if you think there's someone who we should visit, some place we should visit that can help us answer this question, what the hell happened to Iowa when we're out and around the state. And in future episodes of this podcast, we're going to talk about all kinds of issues from the impact of consolidation of agriculture consolidation of media, immigration, and immigration, and women's health care issues, and, and the and Democratic and Party. issues, climate change, Absolutely. pipelines. There is you name so it. much that's changing here. There's so much that's going on, and frankly, there's so much conflict. And you know what's interesting, Rekha, is we can read about these issues, and we can become informed about these issues, but to actually go out in the state and start talking to people and listening to them yep. is a whole new thing. That's right. And we have been overwhelmed by how anxious people are to talk. Just everyday people who we have met as we've been roaming around, everybody has a view on what's happening and everybody wants to express their view. And we're going to do our very best to represent those viewpoints. And I'd also like to add that I think many of us have been in a sort of collective feeling of resignation that this is going to happen no matter what anybody does. And if anything we can do to burst that bubble by going out and talking to people and maybe, maybe realizing that we do not have to be in resignation, this is, does not have to be the new normal. If people get up and talk about what they are experiencing, what the impact of this le- legislation will be on their families, on their loved ones, Maybe it'll make a difference. Well, there are a lot of bills coming out of this legislature. They're kind of coming down the pike right now that are being debated. And pretty soon we're going into a funnel week. People need to use their voices to contact their lawmakers and share their stories and their experiences and their differences of opinion. In fact, in another episode, we'll be talking to a family from Fort Dodge who testified at great personal cost, I believe, about what this bullying, what this anti-transgender rhetoric is doing to the individuals it's impacting. You'll hear about that in an upcoming episode. Thanks so much for listening to this, our very first podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and keep listening because we've got a lot more coming. We're roaming the state. To find the column and subscribe, go to julieandreka.substack.com. We'd like to thank Tina Haas-Findley, Brandlin Friendly, Thomas Tormey, and our wonderful sound engineers, James Hamilton and Brian Dodson. 
This is Julie Gamick and Reka Basu, just a couple of liberty-loving moms coming to you via a podcast. Just look around at where we've been. The more we lose, the less we win. Come on and make me smile again. Oh, I...